0: Of course, I updated my computer last week or two weeks ago, and you know lost a bunch of files, and now my computer is really slow, and so it makes me never want to update ever again. <laughs> you know the quote-unquote update that actually like destroys your computer. Uh, yeah,
1: Apple. Apple's been sued for that. It's like wow, my iPhone 5 worked great when I was running the old operating system. Like, it worked without a hitch, then I updated the new one, and suddenly I needed a new phone. Hmm. Yeah.
0: <laughs> yeah. Yeah, how convenient. They uh, need more money from you. How convenient.
1: <laughs> yeah, don't you want to open your phone with your face? Like, not really. Yeah, but, no, okay.
0: yeah. yeah actually, no, not at all. That sounds uh, horrifying.
1: <laughs> yeah, like, you know, someone could take my phone, put my face to it, if I'm, you know, tied to a chair, and then they can yeah. have my bank details. So it's not ideal <laughs>
0: yeah we're living in it we're slowly but surely people are giving that stuff away but um yeah right on so i'm here tonight live looks like we are live finally awesome. with uh, arthur dane more commonly known as blood and rain definitely make sure to follow blood and rain on uh spotify podcasts are amazing You have, like, uh, you just did one whole year. Was it, like, 52 episodes? I think you're on, like, maybe episode 55 now. And it's been quite a journey the whole way. So definitely, like, follow, find, subscribe subscribe to him. Um, Apple and Spotify, I think, are the main places where it's at. Um, And then on the Instagram, blood Blood underscore and underscore rain. So definitely be sure to follow him there. He's got awesome pics and clips and hilarious stories and you're just doing it, man. <laughs> I love appreciate everything you're that. doing. You're writing, you're podcasting, you're posting. Like everything's just so on it, man. Um, oh,
1: thank you, man. I really appreciate that. And thank you for having me, now. Thank you.
0: Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Yeah, thank you for being here. And I wanted to ask because you just did a maybe not your last, maybe like two podcasts ago, maybe a couple months back, you uh, did a your one year anniversary episode, and you talked about how you were leaving California and moving to Texas. Is that something that's like still happening, or did yeah. you just do that? Like, are you now in Texas?
1: <laughs> uh, I mean, that's that's actually a pretty crazy story. Uh, I mean, <laughs> I move okay. fast. You know, for most most people who know me, it's like I'm more of like a face-first kind of guy. Like, there are certain things I like to sort of work at 30,000 feet and plan long-term, but, like, the day-to-day, I'm just kind of like a face-first kind of person. I'm like, yeah, I don't want to waste much time. Um, so that podcast, you know, right i, I want to say i moved two weeks later to texas oh, wow. yeah. um and that kind of came with you know i was contemplating back in november of whether or not i wanted to move to thailand to you know go full-time in muay thai and then the, the kind of the goal was to be a muay thai fighter and then when the wheels fell off at like 42 43 you know <laughs> um I would uh, <laughs> uh I, I would I would go to a, I would go to a monastery uh, I would be a monastery at you know a place like Mount Athos or Valam monastery in, in you know in Karelia in Russia um, yeah. but upon returning to the faith got out of their plans and put a woman in my life that you know, was very clear progressing towards marriage um, and we met over Instagram uh, she, she shared my writing on my birthday and I kind of got the ball rolling and I felt my prayers of, like, returning, you know, having a goal of being a monk sort of denied, and I was, like, pretty pissed off, and then that happened two weeks later, um, and so I, I was like, all right, well, I don't think I'm going to move to Thailand, and honestly, with the world situation, I think being an American outside of America probably isn't the best idea, um, <laughs> yeah. so it was like, yeah. I was like, well, and, you know, I want to train pretty frequently where my costs are low, and, you know, I'm paying 1300 for a room in West Oakland, a neighborhood, you know, full of gunshots and crackheads and stabbings. So I was like, you know, maybe this isn't an optimal. Um, and I found out that um, the best mind, one of the best minds of martial arts had moved their gym to Austin, John Donaher, and I was going to get into jiu-jitsu. Um, and I was thinking about it, too. I was, like, really contemplating whether or not to do so. And I was in an Uber on my way to my job in San Francisco. Um, and I saw at a stoplight, I saw this homeless man like attack this woman and throw her to the ground. And it was, I don't know if he's trying to kill her or rape her or whatever. And I yelled at my Uber to stop the car. And I ran out and I got in his back and I put him in a rear naked choke. And I'm not a jiu-jitsu guy. I'm a striker. So I uh, put him in a rear naked choke and she kind of stood up and just and just stood there. And I was like, "Run, damn it, run!" And then she just, you know, finally sort of speed walking away from the person who just attacked her. And he started foaming at the mouth, and I like let him go because I didn't want to kill him. And He popped back right, right back up because he's one of those, you know, San Francisco meth head crackhead <laughs> types. Yeah. Um, and I got back in the car, and I, right before I was that happened, I was actually reading about how their best athlete um, had put someone in a rear naked choke to save his dad before he even did jujitsu. And I sort of kind of took that as a sign. It's like, all right, I'm probably moving to Texas. Uh, Um, but I had a good thing going on with my Muay Thai gym in San Francisco. So I was like, you know, I think I'm going to move in like August after the world classic tournament right now is what I would have been moving to Texas. But then, um, bartending in January, uh, Bay area, new rules is like, you know, bartenders need to check vaccinations for people. Um, and I was like, you know, I'm, I'm not going to do that.
0: Just every Um, single customer you have to.
1: Yeah, they're, like, basically wow. segregating society. And I was like, I'm not partaking <laughs> that. Um, You know, my dad escaped communist Cuba. My mom lived through the reign of terror in Argentina. I've had family live under Perón, Mussolini, Franco. I'm just like, I know a dictator <laughs> when I see one. Yeah. Gavin Newsom's a dictator. So I'm not doing this. I'm, I'm heading straight to Texas. And I went February 4th. I stayed there for 10 days. And, you know, I was going to meet my now girlfriend for the first time in person on valentine's day i was going to drive up to texas and i thought i was going to spend two weeks there and like when i got here i was like yeah i don't think i can leave um and there's a bigger abundance of orthodox churches here there's great gyms here so i think we're going to be here for the next year until we get married and then head to texas where i think you know it's more homestead friendly place so that's yeah that's where i'm at right now it's, it's chi town
0: wow yeah Yeah, because you are um, Russian Orthodox, correct? I mean, I go to a Russian
1: Orthodox church, but, like, really, if you're Eastern Orthodox, like, that's kind of interchangeable. Like, you could be at a Russian Orthodox church and have to move and go to, like, an Antiochian or Romanian or... um, Is it OAC
0: or
1: AOC? Definitely not uh, AOC. OCA. OCA. OCA, yeah.
0: (laughs) <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. yeah definitely <laughs> AOC. Sorry, yeah.
1: <laughs> yeah, I was say that's the exact opposite.
0: Yeah. But yeah, I was looking because that's definitely a more northern thing, right? You really don't find them in the south, like Texas, Alabama, Tennessee. You know, they're popping up more and more, which I find really right. fascinating.
1: Um, and the kind of my priests one of my first priests back in California, like five years ago, told me how like the situation in America is kind of a mess when it comes to orthodoxy. Like ideally in this country, there would just be like one orthodox authority. Like there would just be like one orthodox archbishop, like patriarch for America. But because of the way orthodoxy came to the States, like it came very sporadically. The first, um, the first um, missionaries were in Alaska coming from Russia. And they converted the, um, the Aleutian natives in particular amongst others. Um, and they told them to keep all their cultural practices, like they made, but put Christ at the center. So they made like Christian totem poles, um, and they really fully embrace uh, orthodoxy without having to sacrifice their heritage, which is really, really important because you've seen in other kind of missionary efforts here in America, it wasn't really like that. Um, and the next, like sort of the next big place was actually California. Um, I was just reading about, um, Saint Sebastian, uh, he was kind of like the big church planter across the West Coast from San Diego to Vancouver. Um, so there's a, there's a lot of like Russian, Greek, Serbian, um, you know, Orthodox immigrants who came to the West Coast in the 1840s and so on. You know, for real, like new life, um, and they started establishing Orthodox churches there. And then you, you had the same thing with, you know, in the Gilded Age when you had other Eastern Europeans coming to places like New York, and Boston, and Philadelphia. But Middle America, with the exception of Chicago, um, has been predominantly, you know, alien to orthodoxy. But you're starting to see um, a few exceptions. There are actually a fair amount of orthodox churches in Texas. Um, there's a great content creator he's private. His name Southern Sun. And he has, he goes to a pretty strong orthodox community in Alabama. And I think more people across America are, are interested in orthodoxy because during the pandemic, they were really stout about not closing. Yeah. and yeah we've worshipped the same way for 2000 years. Yeah. We haven't, we haven't like compromised ourselves to globalism. Um, you know, there's like, we don't have a history of a reformation or a papacy or killing for the faith. Like we've, we've, we've stuck to our guns for for better or for worse for 2000 years. And yeah. I think that's attractive to Americans because that value of sticking to st- literally sticking to your guns is a, is a very core American value. So um, what's interesting about OCA too is it's still kind of figuring itself out um, because to define what American culture is is very difficult in this day and age I think it would have been easier in the 50s and 40s and be before that where Americana was actually taking shape um, but the 60s really split that in half um, which is which is unfortunate and part of the reason is part of the reason that's difficult is we're not we're not like a single ethnic origin country like we are made up of a series of immigrants so we have to figure out what american culture is and how to integrate that with orthodoxy but i think you, you're gonna see that more and more in the next 20 years which really excites me
0: yeah <laughs> yeah every time i've been to an orthodox uh like one of the divine liturgies it's been amazing and i've even been to a coptic <laughs> this is like totally in in, in egyptian i want to say mm-hmm. arabic but i think it might actually not have been arabic um and then I went to a Serbian Orthodox church, and so it was entirely in Serbian. But mm-hmm. like both times, I just felt like God. I just felt love. I just felt like this is the church, even if it's like I couldn't even understand a single word they're saying. You know, and as someone who's not like a, my whole story is like I wasn't even. I was born and raised like in you know San Diego, but like you know, Illinois and San Diego got totally godless, totally atheist, totally anti-Christian. Yeah. You know, and then have like a total encounter with Christ that just radically transformed my life. So, But then even still, as like like the last three and a half years of being a Christian, I've just kind of been like going to more Baptist church, Protestant churches. But every time I go to like even like a Catholic church or an Orthodox church, it really does feel like this is right. <laughs> so I'm conflicted. I always want to join. I keep having like these urges and these feelings to go join, you know, it's catechumen, right? Do like the catechumen process. Yeah, um, yeah. But that's a whole another <laughs> whole another topic for a whole another whole another podcast. Well will we'll have you back on, and you can try to uh, convince me of <laughs> why I should. But the reason I brought that all up is just it just feels so right. And the more I do, like I actually my Bible is the Orthodox Study Bible. Um, mm-hmm. A lot of my friends are Orthodox. Some are Catholics. You know, and. We have different theological beliefs, but at the end of the day, like, I do feel like it does, like, they do church right, you know? (laughs) And like you said, like, they didn't close during the pandemic, like, they weren't scared. There's no real spirit of fear. There's no real deviation from God, Um, and yeah, it just feels very, like, righteous. Like, the divine liturgy just really does feel like exactly what God wants us to be doing every week, Um, and it just, yeah. I'm in Nashville, Tennessee, so there is a couple around here. But when you leave, like, the city, it's just pretty much non-existent. You know, there's there's not really, like, small-town Kentucky, small-town Tennessee just does not have it at all. But, you know, in Nashville, like, I feel like where the pockets of immigrants have gone to bigger cities, you can definitely find the churches pretty easier.
1: Yeah, that's why, like, a lot of the time the war on cities, like, doesn't really make sense to me. Like, there's so many, if, like, if you actually know how to use your city correctly, there's so many resources, like. Everyone's saying to me, like, man, I can't even believe you're in San Francisco. Like, isn't yeah. it just, like, a homeless free-for-all? I'm like, first of all, all the homeless are in, like, two neighborhoods, okay? So relax. Uh, <laughs> second of all, like, there's there's a there's a research library called the Mecha- – a membership library called the Mechanics Institute with an elite chess club and a great writer's circle. Um, this is home to one of the greatest opera, opera houses in the world, ballets. Like, there's so many things, like, that you can do in a city if you actually just look instead of just complaining, like, there's more to your city than just bars, right? right. Cities okay. are originally places <laughs> where, like, you can actually come and meet other people, other artisans and trade ideas. Like, they're a little subverted now for the obvious reasons because globalists like cities and they want to make, like, dependent people. But yeah. there, there is a way to be a city slicker and not be sort of like a bug man. You can be, Definitely. you know, a sovereign individual um, if you really know how to do it right. Um, and that was, you know, being a city monastic is, is, is a pretty... Is a, it's a long-standing tradition in, orth, in Orthodoxy. Like, the original church was a series of cities, like Ephesus, Thessaloniki. Yeah, right, yeah. Um, you know, it wasn't until later that the church just started branching out. Um, but yeah, I mean, in terms of in terms of the Divine Liturgy, I mean, it's in, it's intense. It's both calming and intense. Like, yeah, it pushes yeah. you and it grounds you, and it's and it's calming. And I remember the first time that I went. I just—I always describe it as I felt spiritually out of shape like I left like I had, just done, I had just done a workout and but it wasn't like my body was out of shape, my spirit was out of shape and um, I remember this the similar thing to you happened, like I brought my girlfriend to first Divine Liturgy and I didn't know that, because I just got into Chicago, I didn't know this church didn't do the services in English they didn't church Slavonic and I was like so concerned and she's just like, no, I felt God. Like, it's not just it's not just about the words. I think yeah. understanding the words is beneficial, but you can still pray in that atmosphere, and it is powerful. Um, and, you know, like, about sort of, the, the reason I came to Orthodoxy from kind of evangelical Christianity is I couldn't really reconcile, like, this idea of sola fide, of, like, faith alone. And I saw a lot of people saying, like, I'm saved, let's go to Buffalo Wild Wings, and and party I was just like (laughs) I don't think that's the way we're supposed to be doing things like we're following God we're deeply praying and trying to walk in the path he lays out before us you know it's not about like earning the faith it's not about earning salvation like a lot of people try to twist it it's like Lord like where do you want me to go I will serve you and that's I felt was much deeper and far more powerful and I saw a lot of Orthodox Christians acting that way so that's that's why I made the transition Um, and I think like scripture and the sacraments and that deep constant prayer of figuring out what the specific deeds, not like the just check off good deeds are, the specific deeds God wants you to carry out. That's that's what I was looking for. I wanted that fullness and I certainly got it
0: even more than what I bargained for when I came to Orthodoxy. Yeah. That's amazing. What is do you mind sharing like your testimony? kind of like scratching at the surface here, but do you want to just like kind of share your five, 10 minute testimony?
1: Yeah, sure. Um, so I, I grew up, uh, son of two immigrants. Um, my my father is a full-blooded Canarian native. So Canary Island's owned by Spain, so the Huanche natives. Um, there's a lot of dispute as to where they're from. Some say they're descendants of Carthage. You know, they're blonde and blue eyes. Some people say they're Vikings. We don't really know, to be honest. <laughs> um, and my mother is, uh, is Sicilian and French Basque. Um, so when you see like the lines on, on, on the map, that those are all Catholic nations, right? Um, so I kind of grew up sort of CEO Catholic, you know, Christmas and Easter only, like, you know, I was baptized as a baby, I was loosely Catholic. Um, and when I wanted to get into Catholic high school, my parents put me in church choir and church group when I was in eighth grade. And I didn't really feel much. Um, there were a couple instances where I went to cathedrals growing up in Spain. Um, there, there's just one um, outside Barcelona at Ibelebo that I went to on the hill that was a pretty powerful experience that I remember. Um, I kind of understood God, but um, I didn't understand church. Um, so, But I I didn't really feel much singing church choir going to youth group, but there was a particular priest who was actually a recovered drug addict who gave the most incredible homilies um, that really moved me. Um, And I got into, you know, a bunch of those Catholic high schools, and I went to one, and, um, you know, I I didn't really see too many people walking in the faith there. There's a lot of rich kids, uh, a lot of trust fund babies. (laughs) and. I wasn't raised with an allowance. Like I was, I was so innocent. Like when I came freshman year, I was like, wow, they're in a Gucci belt. They must have jobs. And I was like, wait a second. They're 14. Like they're, they're, <laughs> yeah. their, their, their parents probably gave them, the, gave them these things. That's crazy. Um, and, you know, my, my, my parents were initially pretty well off, um, but they never, you know, it was that kind of like, you're not rich. Mommy and daddy are rich. Um, and, they actually lost half their money in the stock market in '99, and then half of what they had left in 2001. So it was weird. We were living in this nice place, paying for private school, but they really shouldn't have been. Um, and I was starting to shoulder some of the burdens of my family's financial situation at a very young age, um, which is which is pretty difficult. And it, it it really weighed on me. And I came from a a secular, highly academic school beforehand. I'm an only child. And I'm, Moved schools around a lot, so I didn't wasn't even really able to navigate um, that Catholic high school situation. Um, I was supposed to be a quarterback, uh, but I just really didn't like the people so much that I didn't even play football, and I just became like this reclusive track athlete. <laughs> and yeah, I uh, the summer of 2009, uh, I found out the first girl I ever had feelings for had hung herself. Um, about four months earlier and my parents didn't tell me because they didn't want me to uh, you know they didn't want me to you know kind of stress even further Um, and I didn't really have much to say to God I was pretty angry Um, I found it right before I went to Boy Scout camp up in Sierra Nevada's and you know God sent a couple people to calm me down one kid from Chinatown San Francisco one kid from Sacramento and I, I came to that Catholic high school um, my sophomore year, and I had an English teacher who taught me how to write and how to love to write, and I had a lot to say and a lot to bleed on the paper without That's saying, true. without talking to anybody, because I really didn't want to talk to anybody. Um, I, and I became like this kind of scary, throw people into lockers, punk, like weird social dynamic. Like, yeah, I heard he's gonna track, and, um, I heard he's you know kind of flips double birds all the time and he's always pissed off um, that was my reputation in high school yeah um and i was about to get kicked out and i left before they like, could kick me out i told my mom i was like i'm not going here like i'm not like you're gonna have to put me in like a community college you know high school program before i go back here so i transferred to a uh, christian an evangelical high school where i'd actually gotten in with honors for singing two years earlier because my um my mother's an opera singer and taught me how to sing um that's awesome, and yeah, it was it was pretty interesting growing up. Um, and I went to this evangelical high school, and it was it was like everyone was really nice, which threw me off. And I had a lot of friends. Um, and I went back to acting, and I was everything was pretty nice. Um, the chapels every week seemed really kooky to me. Um, I had my my acting coach have me accept Christ, which for a split second was actually pretty powerful, but. Part of me was still like this deist, like God created us and then just completely left us alone, didn't care. And the only place i really felt God was nature, especially after reading people like Henry David Thoreau and yeah. Bronson Alcott and all the transcendentalists my sophomore year. And you know, I didn't really have any faith when I left that uh, evangelical high school, and I did my gap year to prepare for um, prepare for college auditions in England. Um, so I, uh, I my senior year, I had gotten to a bunch of really big American acting programs, um, and some were talking about scholarship money, and then they saw my grades and were like, "We're not even going to accept you at all," um, <laughs> which was a which was a massive, yeah. massive gut punch because I had horrible grades when I went to Catholic school. And by the time I got to senior year, I had like a four point two, but it was too late. Um, which was it just felt really embarrassing to be rejected by like ten schools. So I was really distraught and I was like this is BS like what do I need like math for like I'm gonna be an actor right like, you yeah, guys yeah. were gonna you're like NYU Miami Boston you're gonna accept me and now you're like n-ah, screw you guys um but I had the chance to perform in Scotland in 2012 at the, the Edinburgh Fringe Festival which is the biggest theater festival in the world and I saw that like the Brits were just better at us than acting like they were more disciplined they had more technique there was more of a rooted tradition so I spent my gap year preparing for conservatory auditions in England where they didn't care about my grades. I was like, cool, this is based on my actual skill. Fantastic. Yep. Um, but in that year, like I was a lapse. I, I do not even call it a lapsed Christian is laughable. because I wasn't any kind of Christian. I had like some weird, I don't even want to call it new agey, just concept of like fate and kind of morality. And the summer before I was about to ship off to England, it's about 2013, I uh I was messing around with Alistair Crowley's books and sort of occultish practices, not like, you know, drawing pentagrams or anything, but just trying to deepen the control over my mind and spiritual like extrasensory perception.
0: Yeah.
1: And the Manly felt, P.
0: Hall idea.
1: Yeah, yeah. Like the Book of Tilemma <laughs> and all that
0: nonsense. Where they try to blend Christianity with the occult
1: yeah yeah it's ridiculous it's those (laughs) things are those things are are opposite yeah Uh, yeah and uh this summer i was actually in jesus christ superstar playing the man who killed jesus so this is not a good spiritual environment (laughs)
0: that's a perfect storm (laughs) Um,
1: yeah and uh my, my my grandfather was on my mom's side he was actually living in spain he died and my mom had to fly to Spain to go see him, and he actually, she, he was still alive when she was on the plane, um, but then he died before she could get there, tragically. Um, but this woman brought her to these Orthodox Catholic monks in the hills of Murcia, Spain, and they sort of like prepared a baptism, and she came back very Catholic, when before she was kind of New Age-y, like pagany, y um, And, Preparing for England, she got me across and she told me to pick a saint for my altar. And I picked St. George because it was the saint of warriors, um, chivalry in England. And I spent this time in drama school detaching from myself. Like, you wore all black every day. And you, like, the first day of class, like, you're capable of murder, you're capable of rape, you're capable of all these extreme things. I mean, exploring the extremities of the human psyche. And I was like, <laughs> all right, like, this is. And we're in rooms <laughs> with no windows. And I knew that, like, I knew I wanted to cling on to some kind of morality because they were so immoral. Um, and my only refuge at this time was, was Muay Thai when I started doing combat sports. And that was like my feet were on the ground. I was atop top of my class, but I really despised it. And I had no Christian faith, but I, I knew I wanted to hold on to some morality. I, I just saw, like, this complete erosion of. Just any concept of goodness that I really didn't like. Like, it's a three-year course. The first year is all technique, and the second year is performance and technique, and the third year is all performance and showcase for agents. And the th- the th- the, so you put on a ton of plays, and like seven out of the ten plays the third years put on all had like really unnecessary nudity, and I was like, you know, this is just getting. I'm- 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 I'm, like, trying to be, like, one of the few Americans to go to the highest level, of the London stage and the Royal Shakespeare Company, and be able to hang. Like, hang with the best, but I'm like, I don't even know if it's worth it at this point. Um, and I left drama school because I realized I didn't want to, I was good at it, but I liked Muay time more. I wanted to be an actual whole person. And I didn't want to sacrifice my morality or not be able to look myself in the mirror, because you hear all these crazy casting and catch stories, and even in the stage world, which I thought was only LA. Yeah. Um, yeah. And I was just like, all right, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to get out of here. And you know, I was engaged to this, this master's student at the time. And that was a pretty toxic relationship. She was top of her class in the master's course. I was top of my class in the bachelor's course. And a lot of people didn't like us for being different. And it was kind of like this F you, all of you, power couple, like anti-power couple type thing. It was very, very intense. Like the whole thing was very intense the grad ball was at a soccer stadium. Um, it, it was it was a very, very strange series of mm. events. And I, I came back to California and my parents sort of freshly divorced and I was working for a startup company and a friend of mine brought me to an evangelical Christian group and I was like, all right, like I really wanted some kind of morality. I wanted some kind of faith. This is kind of like my, my old high school. I'll stick to this for a while. I stuck to it um, until about 2016 where I was in a church retreat in the Sierra Nevada mountains. And they were doing, like, a, a modern contemporary worship session for about an hour. And my girlfriend at the time was really into it. And I, like, opened my eyes up for about an hour and realized it felt nothing. And I, I got a flash in my head of going to, like, a cathedral, like a cathedral-looking place. And I ignored it for a year because my friends were at this church. Um, but I became increasingly... Independent, I realized the things I wanted to do, a lot of people weren't really wanting to partake in. Um, You know, I really wanted to dedicate myself fully to fighting. I really didn't see myself at this point, like after the relationships I'd been in, as being like a husband. Like I saw myself trying to be like a more like a single man of service to others. Like I wanted my fighting career to serve people. I wanted my writing to serve people. Um, And I wanted to live kind of like against the grain. Um, And I had gotten, I was removed from the the Silicon Valley scene because I I started bouncing at night and bar backing at night. And there was a lot of solitude and I was gaining a lot of strength mentally and physically. And I was like, you know, you should really go check out an Orthodox church. Because that that year ago when I had had that flash, I was listening to a lot of music by an Orthodox composer named Argo Part. And I was like, this man is like, has a deep, powerful faith. Where it feels like he could yeah. keep praying and he could get deeper and deeper and deeper. Whereas I feel like everyone around me is just easily satisfied by like this. It's like a bunch of good feelings, but not faith. Right, yeah. Like they, right, yeah. they, read, they, they read the Bible and they try to apply the Bible to their life. And that's great. But I just felt like there's something missing. And I prayed about what church to go to. And I was going to go to a Greek church. This was closer to me. And I had this thing come back to me. says no one needs to be Russian. And I was like, interesting, okay. And I found one, and I came there, and I was like, this, this is the place. And I f- later found out that a lot of Greek churches in America had Americanized, and they kind of compromised a lot of the traditions of Orthodoxy, and that made sense to me. It's why to not go. Um, and they gave me a book, a, an Orthodox study Bible, a prayer book, and um, a, uh, a book called The History of the Orthodox Church, and I read about the martyrs, so the white martyrs were the monastics, the red martyrs who died for the faith, and the green martyrs, starting with St. Christopher's martyrdom through labor. And between my, like, seven-day week bar backing grind, where I was really trying to support people and try to take care of people, even if it was in a degenerate environment, maybe I can get people to strive for faith and strength when they're at their weakest, rather than continually turn to alcohol, which is antithetical to my pocket, but, you know, <laughs> to the faith made a lot more sense. Um, and... I was and that between that and fighting and I was about to be a best man in a wedding, I was like, I don't think I'm the husband guy, I think I'm this guy. And my priest told me to pursue it. And my birthday in seventeen, my mom brought me to this evangelical not evangelical, this new agey woman who had helped her. And she was starting to echo things that I felt from the faith. So it started to compromise my faith. I saw her a couple more times and I, wound, I, Honestly, I wound up running off with my ex-fiance. I went to England to get her back in 2018 because I was deceived. There was actually a person at my church who drove me home after my first Easter service in Orthodoxy who I actually, like in hindsight, remembering his demeanor, I think he was like a legitimate person who was trying to like pull people away from the faith. Well, and he was telling yeah. me about how like early Christians believed in reincarnation. And that echoed what this new agey woman was telling me. And then I told told her about this this ex fiance coming out of the woodwork again. She talked about it's your twin flame and all this, and I was like, interesting, okay. She's like, you know, did you feel like you had met them before when you first met them? And I was like, kinda. And like she threw all these weird, vague things that seem legitimate, but if you actually pursue them, there was nothing there. But it's very like Satan's an illusionist, and he's a powerful illusionist, the great deceiver. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He's an angel of light and. I went to get this person back and I was away from the faith for like three years. Um, but in 2020, I, um, I, uh, I was, you know, I had the ideal schedule to be a full-time fighter and I was flying my, my fiance to and fro from England. I said, so about two years, you know, I'll have enough training where like we can legitimately live together and we can get married and we'll just visit each other, like, every other month. And I had this weird feeling. This is, like, March of 2020. I'm like, this is a house of cards. You know, you got comfortable. Um, right before I went to get her back and right after my first Easter, I was deceived. I actually wrote this poem that came to me called Blood and Rain. Um, and, you know, as soon as I knew what that path was, I was deceived off of it. Like, this is kind of like my path of Christ, this path right here, was path of blood and rain. And... I was deceived off of it, but it came to this point in 2020 where I was like, you fell off. Like, yeah, you're working your butt off. You have this ideal schedule, but you're not ready to bleed in the ring like you were before. And you're gonna need to go through something where you're ready. And a week later, Gavin Newsom shut down all the bars in California, <laughs> $3,000 of overhead costs to Calvert. And I refuse to take unemployment because I'm able-bodied and of sound mind, and I just don't believe in that. And I worked overnight security two hours away, um, barely scraping by. Um, I was working, and it got to a point where bars, certain places that were more conservative in the Bay Area opened back up, so I got this brunch bartending gig on the weekends. And for a stretch there, I was pulling 40-hour weekends with, like, two hours of sleep in between each eight-hour shift. Wow. And... I remember my mom wanted to see me and you know she I didn't have a car at the time she kind of picked me up and she's like, let's go get sushi in Berkeley I was like okay I, I can barely afford that I'm sure and she was like upset that I wasn't conversing with her and I was like mom I'm so tired I'm just so tired I'm so sorry I'm not being as present with you as I can be but mom I, I just got like two hours of sleep in the past 40 hours um, and she's like oh I'm so sorry I'm like You know, I'm gonna drive you to work. I'm like, yeah. She's, do you want to sleep? I'm like, yeah. And I was like, you mind playing this song that helps me sleep? And it's called Return to by Max Richter. And I didn't realize this until later on, but these were like lifelines God was throwing to me to come back to Him, to return to Him. Yeah. And I um. You know, I the, what I the first thing I thought I had to do is I I changed my Instagram that was Blood and Rain to something else. that had become more of a personal Instagram. Like I need to actually do what I was gonna do with my path. With like writing and fighting and faith. And it wasn't not faith yet, I thought the poem just stood alone. I forgot that faith was the real thing I needed to return to. And I started Blood and Rain again in December of twenty twenty and it turned into a podcast and writing and it got to a point where my long-distance relationship, I realized that's actually what destroyed so much of my life. And I actually prayed to God for the strength and for him to take it away from me. And because I, there was like this weird thing in oh, me. He like he will. Was,
0: oh, he totally will. <laughs> oh, he will. <laughs> and yeah. like
1: it, my, my pride was the biggest problem because like i don't quit anything like
0: if you quit this
1: you'll be a quitter like it was like this chip on the shoulder never say die work ethic that was guided towards the wrong thing and that's what kept me in it for so long i was like you know you can you can you can endure anything you know and i i prayed in my in these moments clarity like lord please take this away from me and July. She's British, and July Fourth, an Independence Day, we broke up.
0: <laughs>
1: <laughs> yeah, and um, perfectly know, patriotic. Yeah, <laughs> I was, it was. It was. It was. I like literally couldn't help but laugh. Um, yeah, and I I noticed that like a lot of the things I was telling people and advice were bringing me back towards Orthodox faith, and you know that July Fourth I got a phone call like I was a I was like an on call bartender in case you got busy. And like five minutes after we broke up, I'm like FaceTime. Like, coworker's like, hey, Arthur, yeah. Can you come in? Yeah. You on your way? Yeah. Like 10 minutes? Yeah. You getting an Uber? Yeah. And I just showed up and I didn't say a thing to anybody. <laughs> like, I didn't say a thing. For two months, because I was in this degenerate environment, like you say, you're a single person in a degenerate environment. They're like, "Oh, really?" Like, no, no, no. no. Right, like, as yeah. far as as far as all of you guys are concerned, I'm still engaged. Like, um, but uh, and then I prayed uh, on Bastille Day uh, to come back to God, and I, uh, you know, my my current girlfriend shared my. I was like, "All right, Lord, the old game plan is back. We're back, baby." Like, mm-hmm. Fight career, monastic life. Done. And God is like, no. <laughs> yeah. And in all honesty, um, my current girlfriend shared my writing, and we started talking. And I did a I did a podcast with the bank trapper in front of my name, Elijah. And I told him, like, yeah, I'm thinking of moving to Texas before I move to Thailand. He's like, oh man, Arthur, there's all kinds of wiping material for you here. And I was just like, uh, no, no. Uh, I'm going to have a fighting career, and then uh, I'm going to be a monastic. And that was the first time in my life where I said it out loud and didn't believe what I was saying. Yeah, um, And I found that my faith and her faith was, was being increasingly deepened by, like, this ongoing courtship. And then I realized, like, okay, like, like this is for real. Like, this is this is a woman you need to pursue to marry and have children with. And that was the first time I ever felt up for that my entire life. I really I, – I, if you asked me, like, months earlier, like, dude, like, I'm going to – i if I don't die in my last title fight, like I'm going to be a monastic and just write books from a monastery. Like I'm positively singular. Like it's just, I will put every last breath and drop of blood and sweat and fury into this. And God had other plans. Yeah. And I had to reconcile a lot of demons and I finally came back to orthodoxy. Um, you know i had been praying on my own but i didn't go to a church but all these conversations were and i were having were about god and our both of our faiths were being deepened she started going to church again and i was like okay like you know the cathedral of saint john Maximovich is in san francisco for some reason you've never been and you need to go so i, I pulled i stayed in a bar i had worked in a 12-hour shift in oakland it was storming rain outside i was sick as a dog i stayed up the final poem of my poetry book that I'm going to release this October. I came outside in the rain. It's always some rain. I got some coffee, and you know to warm up, warm up my body because I had the COVID nineteen Omarion variant. Uh, and it was clo- <laughs> not Omicron Omarian Omarion, <laughs> <variant>. because <laughs>
0: yeah.
1: I, I just found it so ridiculous that people were taking it seri- that seriously that I just made a giant. Ch- I, I went to work that way, and my my coworker was also sick, and no one cared. Um, and I went down to the BART and I just remember this weird feeling because the train had been sitting there underground with the doors open and it was as silent as a crypt like as if it was frozen in time and I'd never seen it like that it wasn't a terminus stop it was 19th street Oakland and I got on the train and then I got off and then I got on the bus across town to Holy Virgin Cathedral and I came in and I repented and I had genuine like tears coming down my eyes i'm not a, i'm not much of a crier he can um but there's a saying in orthodoxy that prayers of repentance with tears are true prayers of contrition and i felt like i finally came home and i wasn't going anywhere yeah um you know coming to chicago i thought i was going to get baptized in san francisco in that cathedral where i repented. Um, I was finally baptized Orthodox, uh, on the 22nd. So last, last Friday, oh,
0: uh, wow. in
1: Chicago. two weeks ago. Yeah. yeah. Uh, man, I that's thought, amazing. I thought my patron saint was going to be St. George after all the time, but they say your saint chooses you. And within a month, it was Constantine. Um, man, that's beautiful. And, and my, my girlfriend and I both got baptized together and her saint came to her about an hour before, finally. Um, St. Theodora, the Empress of, that saved iconography in the Byzantine Empire. So that is, that is my full 15 minutes, sorry, not 10 minutes,
0: no, minutes. that's <laughs> That's amazing. Yeah. All of that was amazing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That is, um, that is a good, like just what you're saying about like what you wanted versus what God needs of you. Right. And he'll yeah. let you do that. He'll let you keep suffering. <laughs> you can keep choosing to rebel against them. You can keep choosing your own path, your own plan. But then, like when your heart starts rumbling, <laughs> when you start do, when you start to like really feel that call that God has for you, you start like you said. You realize when you say things out loud, you're just like, "This is not right. This is not what God wants of me. Not what God needs of me. Like this is not gonna really bring God glory." And so it like, at some point you have to abandon what you want, or what you think you're going to do and just start listening to him and go in the direction he's pulling you in. Um, yeah. It's, it's a kind hard of hard battle, <laughs> but a constant one.
1: Yeah. I mean, it's, it's clear what he wants of you, the more you stay in prayer. Like yeah. the, um, like yeah. there, there's, there's certain aspects of free will where you can like make an offering to God and you'll like, it's permissible within certain, you know, certain, like, you know, if you went this path and went this path, you know, while still being with me in terms of specifics in the real world, it's permissible or, and it can be used for good or good. But like, there's sometimes where God's like, no, like you're, you're going yeah. over here or, or <laughs> you're going over here or you're just plain not listening, to me, you know? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> yeah.
0: Yeah. And then like what you were saying earlier in your life, like when you're in nature, that's when you hear God. And that's so true and so real. Like, even completely godless people, like, completely unbelievers, they love, like, going into the forest. And it's like, they don't understand why, but that, like, really what it is, I think, is my theory, (laughs) is that when you're, like, in stillness, when you're in quiet, when you have, like, the noise of civilization and other people and things and happenings and, you know the stress of the past in your mind or the stress of the future. And you're just in that moment in nature, in the stillness and the quiet that is when God speaks to you and you might not recognize his voice yet. You might be in denial of his voice, but God is speaking to you in that moment. And that's why it feels so great. It feels so amazing. And then when you are truly seeking God, you are seeking what's good, true and beautiful. You are seeking his, him in his right ways. Then you'll start to like, communicate with them you'll start to feel that calling you'll start to hear that voiceless voice and understand like where you need to go and what you need to do um and like you said like being in constant prayer like being in a constant like like i guess in the orthodox they call it hesicast right where it's like a constant state of silence and stillness where you're just absorbing god you're praying without ceasing in every single moment of your life like in those silent moments um that is truly, in my experience so far, where God speaks to me and, t- and calls me and tells me and pulls me in the right direction. Um, and then in the moments where I'm, like, busy and active and I'm thinking and it's all about me and my wants or what I need to do or what I what I should do, that's kind of where I get caught up and lost into my own mess or into, you know, satanic schemes and whatnot. But I do feel like that, that thing, you, like that little note you have in there for, like, when you're lost and confused, when you're like not really feeling righteous (laughs) or walking and living righteously, those moments of stillness, like being in the forest is something that can give you like a shade, like a shadow, a glimpse into like godliness into holiness.
1: Yeah. I mean, there's a reason why monasteries are kind of like, I mean, there's urban monasteries, right. But like uh, most of them are out in nature, like Mount Afog is literally out. The Vala monastery is on the biggest lake in, in, I think in Europe, and um, you know, up in Karelia, and it's like God created nature. Like we can we right. we can make incredible structures. Like we can make, um, you know, St. Basil's Cathedral. We can make the Palace of Fine Arts in San Francisco. We can make the Chrysler Building. Yeah. But it it doesn't even hold a candle to places like Glacier National Park, or the French Alps, or um, you know. Take your pick, right? right? Like, t- t- take your uh, uh, yeah. aluru in Australia. Like take your pick. Like wow, okay. Like God made that,
0: um, or even something and, just know, as small as a seed. Like <laughs> yeah, a seed that's going to sprout into like a like a redwood tree. You know, something that like something that tiny even is so like mind-blowingly complex, and we are so unable to reproduce or replicate that.
1: Yeah, it's it's not close. I mean, like a. There, it's funny. There's some working theories that AI is like just demonic, which is an interesting. <laughs> it, 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 it's, it's an it's an interesting yes. it's an interesting thought. I, I'm not I'm not sold on it yet because I, I want to make sure like I'm not sort of like seeing what I want to see, you know. Um, yeah. But um, that that state of constant prayer. I mean, you can. I mean, with the the Jesus prayer in particular, like there are some nuns who have talked about um, how, like, they'll fall asleep and they'll be praying the Jesus prayer prayer in their sleep, like they're praying through sleep. Yeah. Um, And (laughs) I remember the last, the last I talk about this like all the time, but the last homily I heard in San Francisco at the cathedral from the Archbishop, uh, he and there were two monastics there that day, one female and one male, and I was just so mesmerized by their focus like it was so still and so calm and that's like if you if you go to that cathedral like i mean saint john maximovich is is his remains were on display there and they haven't decomposed and they've been there since 1965 and this is a man who performed miracles in shanghai and san francisco and paris and serbia and russia he was, like, a man of God who cultivated such a powerful practice of prayer that his prayers, like, through his prayers, people were healed. God healed people through his prayers. And I went there, and I was like, time doesn't exist here. Like, there's a stillness here. And then I looked at these monastics, and it was like, these people have that. Like, they've cultivated that without needing a cathedral. And the, the, it was funny because we're... It was appropriate, rather, um, because the Archbishop talked about having the focus of a monastic, and he talked about St. Anthony the Great, and he kind of made a, a semi-joke. He said, you know, the, the saints are already great, to be called the Great. Like, St. Anthony the Great, <laughs> or St. Basil the yeah, Great. The It would like, yeah, yeah. be just unbelievable. <laughs> and, he's, he's, you know, there were desert hermits before, but he was the real founder of the monastic order because he was such a mesmerizing hermit that, like, you know... Bunch of people found him. Like, can he teach us the way? Like, twenty years later, like, all right. I'm going to go on my own again. Another forty years, yeah. Um, praying for the world, like monasticism is is full time prayer for the world. It's powerful. And he talked about this. Archbishop talked about develop. Not everyone's called to the monastic life, and that's okay. Because if everyone was called to monastic life, there wouldn't be people anymore. Um, right. Yeah.
0: Yeah. You couldn't but, be fruitful and multiply,
1: right? exactly not everyone's called to it you're either going to be married to your spouse or you're going to be married to god like monastic this is but everyone can cultivate the focus of a monastic so why the jesus prayer is so powerful and why things like morning prayers like in the very beginning of the morning so you're starting your day with god without being deceived you're starting on that note and continuing it like your actions have so much more meaning like my workout my training sessions have so much more meaning i'm not just training my mind and my body i'm actually training my being. Um, when we carry a certain reverence for every act that we do, even work, and people find out we're, we're a Christian, we're actually walking the walk, we're being proper ambassadors for Christianity. Yeah. Like, there's something different when they see us. And it's not a matter of pride. It's a matter of that we're just following the walk of the faith. As opposed to saying, I believe in Jesus, and let me, let me go, like, get plastered. And, or, or like, not, not, not even get plastered, but just like acting irreverently.
0: Yeah.
1: Right? And people say it's like oh that's a facade I'm like it's not a facade if you're doing the inner work and it's just radiating outward. A facade is when you're playing pretend. Yeah. And this isn't playing pretend. This is reverence. This is deepening of the prayer.
0: Yeah, that's great. Let me correct myself cuz that's a being monastic is being fruitful but not multiplying. You're this is being fruitful. But not multiplying, right? <laughs> Um, and then yeah, like I I am always so conflicted because I mean, I did a whole stream on the Desert Fathers. I love that book. I, I love that I get, I get so inspired by all like like reading about saints and the desert fathers and the early church fathers. And it's so conflicting because like part of me, like like it sounds like the battle you're struggling with <laughs> over the last few years, the last decade is like, yeah, I'm just gonna throw it all away and go be 100% in service to God. And live, like, as ascetically as, aesthetically as po- possible, like, by the book, like, giving my cloak away to people who need it kind of vibe. Um, yeah. Truly, like, at like live as Christ-like as possible with nothing, you know. And part of me wants to do that, and then the other part is that, right, is, like, being fruitful. Yes, you would be being fruitful in that instance, but are you multiplying? At some point, like, you can't just run and hide in the caves of Egypt. You have to go into the Roman Empire and be on mission for christ right and win souls over and help build the kingdom like you said in cities you can't just run away from the cities you can't run away from civilization but it's a fine line and like there's actually kind of i think people are called to do both (laughs) i don't think it's one or the other that you have to do i think god will put you in the right place at the right time to do the right thing and there's a time and place for people to be desert fathers who are going to inspire people for the next two thousand years and teach us really valuable lessons And then there's also people that are to multiply and advance the kingdom, either in their like missionary works or by physically multiplying, like having children um, and reproducing in that way. But I think it's just a constant battle. And I've talked about it on my recent live streams too of like, are you called to singleness or are you called to like being a father or a mother? And if you look at like the church fathers, you look at the, the apostles, you had Peter who was married, right? You had apostles that were married. God put them into those relationships for a reason. And then you Mm -hmm. also have like Paul and Jesus and John the Baptist Mm -hmm. who were not, they were specifically called to a life of singleness because like, actually it seems, I don't know if it's clearly stated anywhere, but it seems like if they were married, it would actually get in the way of their mission. You know? And I just think everyone has this own weird battle and, and journey. They have to figure out of like, are you called to be like a monk? Are you called to live ascetically? Or are you called to be like a father, like a good father in your community? Are you called to be on mission and be missionary-minded or evangelical or whatever? Um, And I don't know if there is a right answer. And even if for an individual, I don't know if there's a right answer. But um, it seems like we all have to kind of, like what I was saying earlier, like listen to God's calling truly and kind of abandon our own personal wants and needs or our desires and let God guide us into the direction that he needs us to go into but I still am conflicted. <laughs> all that being said, all that ranting and rambling being said, I do still sometimes think like, yeah, I could just go live as a hermit in the woods and just live as Christ-like as possible like that, or be in the city and convert as many people as possible, like preaching the gospel to all people, all nations at all times, you know? Um, but yeah. It's, yeah, the reason I was ranting like that is it seems like you're doing the same thing, right? It's like, It seems like you have this mental idea of wanting to like, you know, go to like live a monastic life, an ascetic life, but it seems like God's pulling you in the other direction right now (laughs) towards a, towards a woman and towards a life that's more like potentially like family oriented or mission. Yeah.
1: I mean, you gotta be really like, you gotta be called to the monastic life. Like it needs to be like, no, this is like, this is where I'm supposed to go. And honestly, like, I actually think that's the easier life. Really? To be honest. Yeah, yeah. No, it's because, I mean, there's a...
0: Shots watching it Shots fire.
1: <laughs> <laughs> no, and, and, like, it's, I mean, it's it's powerful. It's disciplined. It's, it's like, it's di- really difficult on paper, right? Like, I don't know. Like, monks amount Mount sleep three hours a night. Like, I, I joked with a friend of mine who, who, who drove with me from Austin to Oklahoma to see our good friends, uh, fellow content creators, Evil Academy and Nature Build. Um, Christian is a great content creator who needs to write more uh, under the moniker the wolf in the mirror um but you know he, he was joking, he was joking like, is this where we're gonna sleep on the way to chicago i was like sleep's a strong word um you know <laughs> I, was, I was like we'll, we'll, we'll get about three hours of sleep but it's enough for the monks of mount so it's enough for us you know yeah. um but you know like it's it's obviously strenuous like you need to be constantly praying it's a lot of physical discipline but like I was watching a, a documentary about the the monastery of Balaam, and one of the abbots said, "If people knew how much God comforts monastics, everyone would want to be a monk." And when you think about it, it's the ultimate reflection of of, of math. You know, my yoke is easy. Um, it's like you were just you were your your job is to like follow God at all times, pray like constantly. Like it's actually like, the sounds kind of fun. Like, you know what I mean?
0: Yeah.
1: Um, Whereas, like, you don't need to navigate the real world. You're just in God's world, and then, like, at the end of it, you
0: go to heaven. Yeah, yeah. That's a good
1: point. Whereas, and I I think, like, I was so, so trying to detach for such a long time. I'm an only child. You know, a lot of people say they're a loner. Like, I'm a loner. Like, I've been a loner for a long time. I've been thrust into leadership positions before when, really, I just wanted to be (laughs) alone. Um, And... I think kind of the reason, like all all the saints I wanted I was thinking about taking, they were all kind of like these lone, strong men who were devout of faith and ready to die. Like Saint George famously died for the faith. Saint Christopher was the first green martyr. Saint Moses of Ethiopia, um, you know, he was at a monastery, but he walked a very particular path alone. and you know, out of nowhere. You know, in the final month before my catechesis process, before I was baptized, he's like, "No, it's for you. It's going to be Saint Constantine." And I was like, "Really?" And I it was another kind of thing where I ignored it. And it was right after liturgy. I was in the car with my girlfriend. I was like, "Yeah, I'm going to take the I'm going to take Saint George as my patron saint." He's like, "Are you sure about that?" I was like, "No, no, I'm not." Actually. Um, and I spoke to my spiritual father about that, and I kind of told him some of the things that I was doing in life, you know, between fighting and trying to grow this Christian Web 3 business, and, you know, have various men's groups. Um, he's like, I think this is the saint for you. And the fact that it came to you with that, like, just out of nowhere, with no research, like, that's, that's the voice. That's God. And, you know, St. Christopher, I'm not saying I have to run an empire, like, I'm not going to be emperor right? Like it's, it's, it's twenty twenty two. You
0: know, that
1: could be some, some, bring them back. California theocracy. That'd be cool. <laughs> yeah. That's, that's yes. that'd be, that'd be yes. very interesting. If that happened. <laughs> uh, um, but really, I mean, like what that kind of says to me is like this leadership and administrative duty and drive to do something where all the victories are for god i'm doing things that could be seen seem as worldly but i'm doing it within the framework of building something for god um and creating a better environment for christians who are not called the monastic life um and i find that more difficult than like i i'm like some people really can't be alone i can be alone for a long time like it's my mom's the same way i'm kind of surprised that she's not a nun (laughs) Um, But um, I I think Living in the real world And having to be a father Be a mother, raise children Defend them from You know, a lot of people would kind of say Like modernity But really it's just the many faces Of a secular deception From Satan That's more on a macro scale In the day and age we live in And I I think that's a lot more difficult Than being a monastic like, having to keep that walk of faith like that, you're worried about providing. So you're, like, you're worried about finances, but you can't be worried to such a point that you're greedy. You can't worship money, but you put God first in a series of decisions that can be increasingly difficult depending on what God's putting you through. I mean, Alexander Usyk is a devout Orthodox Christian heavyweight champion boxer. That is a very difficult thing to navigate. Um, there are Orthodox Christian businessmen, there are Orthodox Christians who are trying to do all the things that they have to advance the faith. And that's very difficult because if, if you're not careful enough, if you're not precise, if you're not praying unceasingly, you can step down the wrong path pretty easily. Which which is why I believe it to be harder than being a monastic. I was, yeah. I, to be honest, I think I was kind of taking the easy way out.
0: Yeah. Yeah, well said. And that's a point, point you kind of brought up there in this, like real quick, and then um, one of your more recent podcasts, you were talking about being mentored um, or like being discipled. And I was going to ask you, like, what, do, what is the importance of being mentored or like being discipled? You know, I, my, my, so my, my dad,
1: my dad taught me some very foundational, powerful lessons of being a man. He taught, he's an engineer. He taught me how to think critically. He taught me how to detach, use logic. Um, he's my dad. You know what I mean? But it was never like I don't think your your dad can mentor you. Your dad can only really kind of like raise you. And I was also I was always searching for a mentor outside of, of, of my, my father could teach me certain things, like you know, could not just teach me a skill set, but actually teach me aspects of living that go hand in hand with that skill set and beyond. The closest thing I had was that English teacher I talked about before. Um, You know, he's gonna—you know—he's gonna kind of have a dedication in most of my books um, that I that I publish. Um, But I didn't really—I was always searching for one, and I never really had one. And so I had to figure out a lot of things my own. I had like I had coaches, you know, who taught me certain skills, but I never found person who I thought, like, this person can mentor me. And the first time I had one was my last Muay Thai coach in San Francisco, because he was actually changing the way that I live. And he was also believed in me more than I believed in myself. Like, I knew inherently I had attributes to be a world champion fighter, but between humility and a bunch of given circumstances, like, attempts at humility, rather, and a bunch of given circumstances, I was like, Hmm. you know i think i just gonna like throw everything at the wall and see if it sticks and that's that but i remember he did a pad session with me um after i rehab my lower back injury and he just had this look on his face like pardon of my French, like holy shit like he's like my goodness and i remember he's, he's a big guy um and, like, right when we started on the pads, he's like, don't kill me yet, okay? Like, don't kill me. <laughs> and he's he's not the type of guy to blow smoke. He's, he's, he's like, kind of, like, we're very similar in a certain way. We're both loners, but who also really care about people. Like, he wasn't going to be the head coach of this gym until he just started training. He had been burned at another gym um, when he was a phenomenal fight team coach, specifically getting ready people ready for fights. And they're like, no, dude, you got to be the coach here. Like, they need an actual, like, proper head coach. And he took over. So we had a very similar way of looking at things. We understood each other without having to say too much. And, you know, he had held tryouts for a fight team in October. 40 people tried out. I was the only person, there were two people who made it. I was the only person who made it unanimously with all the coaches. And he was, he was like very instrumental to that. Like he knew more things about myself as a fighter than I did. Like, I was trying to fight as, like, this elusive fighter, and he's just, like, you have, like, speed and power to be what's called, like, a mot, which is, like, an offensive, you know, front, on the front foot, always advancing fighter, but I always saw that as, like, low IQ, but he was a very high IQ mot, and he's like, this is the way you need to be fighting, like, you will will win a lot of fights this way, and that's how I passed the fight test, but then he was part of the fight team, he finally started doing, like, one-on-one pad work, and... We finished, we're in the middle of pad work and he just had this crazed look, like crazed, just like dazed look on his face. And he told my favorite teammate, he's like, Arthur's what we call an oh fuck fighter. Pardon my French, your dad. he's like, (laughs) he's like, yeah, anyone can be big and strong, but he's big, strong, has a gas tank, and he has speed, and he has fight IQ. (laughs) And like, when we finished, he's like, your ceiling is incredibly high. He's like, you can go as far as you wanna go. And for someone who actually knows me and understands me to tell me that, that was liberating to me because there were stretches where I was injured, I was in the wrong places, and I was like, all right, really? That's all I needed. That is all I needed. So it was very difficult to leave San Francisco because of that. And... I finally understood the, the need for a mentor because they've been at places that you that you haven't been yet and they can tell you how to get there even better. Yeah, so a spiritual nice. father for your faith, a mentor in business, a mentor in whatever skill that you're trying to cultivate. You can teach, you can understand you and teach you, understand you more than you understand yourself in certain aspects in relation to the skill you're trying to cultivate. It's worth its weight in gold.
0: <laughs> That's all amazing. Yeah, I think it, um, that is a good point about like the father. Like, the father is an important, like, he's, he's going to be like your first mentor. He's going to be probably your primary mentor, but he can't be your only. <laughs> That's a really good point. And uh, I love, I hope on the fact this guy, Paul Washer, made this point and I just seem to be proven over and over and over again to me in the macro and the micro of like, boys need to be raised by men or taught by men to become men okay. otherwise you just have boys with boys and they never grow up or you have boys with women and they grow up to become women and i think that's yeah. like our problem in, in society today is like our whole culture and society is this like mindset of like boys go to school and they get taught by women or they just hang out with their peers. And they just kind of stay stagnant. They stay in that like undeveloped stage. And so we end up with quote unquote beta males or however you want to describe that. Like basically grown men who just don't know how to be righteously masculine. Because they, even if they had a good father, they didn't have other men, plural, in their lives. Like teaching them to become righteously masculine. They had peers and women and maybe a father if they're lucky in this day and age maybe a coach along the way but yeah when you have like you encounter someone who's like yeah i had a handful of like good like masculine holy men who like taught me and guided me along the way those are the people you see like truly crushing like truly like on the right path like seeking serving loving the lord with all their heart soul and might um and it's like that it's like with you it's like you're not going to have all this success. You're not going to be that much of like a physical specimen and a, that much of like a skilled, like craftsman, like a writer, and a, a producer of content without men, <laughs> plural, yeah. right? Re- teaching you to do this kind of stuff, cultivating that talent in you, like inspiring you, motivating you, pushing you beyond your limits. Um, and we need more of that. And then like you and I, me, like we have to reciprocate that too. Now, like we have to be those men that teach and raise up the young boys of the future as well at some point (laughs) at some point maybe not tomorrow we don't have to go out tomorrow and do it but i feel like that's a big thing too is like why is this happening it's because men have abandoned their responsibilities and at some point a generation has to come along that says i'm going to sacrifice and we're going to get this thing back on track we're going to reclaim what's lost and i feel like it is our generation (laughs) i feel like it's coming soon
1: i wholeheartedly agree with that i mean there's so much there's kind of so much to unpack there yeah. Like, it's it's funny, like, my, my I have not met someone analytically smarter than my father yet. I'm, I'm sure they're out there, like, but I'm 27 and still haven't met them. Like, that says a lot. Yeah. Um, <laughs> But that being said, it's like, you know, your parents can turn to, to certain things and be like, man, that's what you say. And then, like, you see other men echoing that. You're like, oh, okay. Like, for whatever reason, yeah. like, you need that. And, you know, especially in Oakland, like, I see a lot of single mothers – who were pretty powerful, particularly in the black community. You know, it's like, Mark, I i i get a giggle because there's, like, there's Marshawn Lynch, like, the, the you know, the Seattle running back, but he's from Oakland. Yeah. And he went to Oakland Tech, he went to Cal. And I see billboards of him out here. I'm like, hey, Marshawn. And my girlfriend's like, you're going to say that every time? I'm like, yeah. <laughs> yeah, I'm going to say that every time. And he famously had, like, this really strong single mother who made sure he, like, stayed away from, from gang activity in Oakland. But he also had like mentors, as coaches, who were men. So he was getting that like kind of father figure from somewhere that was super important. Like the statistics, the statistics of what people are prone to without fathers—it's it's pretty harrowing. Like yeah. without father, like you're more likely to have mental disorders, yeah. um, you know, you suicide, chains,
0: end up in prison, yeah, suicide. All oh, the rates skyrocket and everything.
1: Yeah, and but that can that can be negated by having strong men mentoring you. Yeah
0: absolutely yeah. like
1: while you're growing up and that's pretty that's really really important it's like you know i i don't i don't i don't really believe in saying anyone's screwed because their father you know they don't have a father they left they died whatever they're just not there for whatever reason it, it you can you can be raised by a village if provided they're they're teaching that village is teaching the right things and as far as like yeah. cultivating true masculinity i mean you know you've seen men be feminized and in that power vacuum you've seen opportunists arise right it's like I know how to be masculine but I want what I want you know red pill nonsense you know Andrew Tate I'm just gonna say it you know, um, <laughs> yeah. you know like these guys preaching all a lot of the right things like sovereignty you know financial independence you know Andrew Tate obviously knows how to fight and so doesn't protect himself these are all good things but like he made his millions on a cam girl business.
0: Right. Right.
1: But feminized men are going to see that and think that's the only way. And, but then like, you'll see like kind of men who aren't cultivating all his attributes saying it doesn't need to be this way. It's like, well, he has this, this, and this, you don't. And it's just like, it's such a stupid way of thinking. Unfortunately, that's the way it is. And I was actually having this talk with them, the wisdom of Kings. Like, you know, we're trying to, we're trying to get guys away with our content from the red pill, you know, it's it's male, but it's also toxic. It's not toxic masculinity. It's just toxicity with masculinity. Right? right. Yeah. It's not honorable. It's not building those around them. It's not preparing those in the future. It's not shielding people from moral harm. It's just like doggy dog, you just gotta be a man. That's fine. It's, you know what? It doesn't actually need to be that way. Yep. And so I I, I wrote the other day, I wanna say a couple two, three weeks ago, I said there's there's gonna be a group of people in hell. Who said, "I don't get it"? I listened to the Jack and Tan guy. Why am I here? <laughs> and yeah. Yeah. because they think that's the end all be all. The end all be all. The most powerful man in existence has been Christ. He's literally God and man. Yeah, the Alpha and he, 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 the Alpha and the Omega. And he taught the highest kind of strength possible. That guy, like your buddy of mine, said, "I feel like he's like a nuke. Like I hate to blaspheme, <laughs> but you could just like." I feel like he could just zap people, and he just didn't. He had this crazy control, and I was like, yeah, Yeah. it's kind of insane. Like, boundless strength and unlimited control and patience. And these are all masculine virtues that are dying with this red pill culture that only was able to happen because it's this void of masculinity. And so someone said on a comment, it's like, my brother in Christ, you are Jack and Tan. I'm like, yeah, but the reason I said this is because (laughs) like, if I I wasn't quote-unquote Jack and Tan, they'd be like, well, you just want to be Jack and tan. You're just jealous. No, I'm saying that. So you, yeah. you can realize that that's actually ridiculous to think that way. Because there are plenty yeah. of people who are Jack and tan who are spouting absolute nonsense that's destructive to the self, destructive to the spirit, and destructive to society. And that's not
0: being a man. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah, my favorite, I just think it's the best phrase ever. It's actually a Steven Mansfield phrase of righteous masculinity. And I just think that's the perfect phrase. It's the perfect two components that every man needs. And it's the correct order. Righteousness and then masculinity. And too many people like pick and choose one or the other. Or they put masculinity first and they kind of go to church. They go through the motions. Um, But it really is like you really need to be on a righteous path. And as a man, you also really need to be becoming the masculine man that God designed and created you for. Um, And I don't think you one or the other doesn't work because I meet people, too, that are like they're very righteous. They're very pious. They're doing the right things like they're authentically seeking God with their heart. But then they're not doing anything of the physical. They're not putting in like the work. They're not doing anything that's like physically bringing glory to God and not necessarily like with their bodies, like lifting weights, but like just being a man, like standing up and speaking out for what's right. Yeah, they're thinking the right things, they're praying, like their heart's in the right place, but their actions aren't matching it. You know, their faith is not being matched with works. And I think that naturally happens when you are righteously masculine. Like, you're going to be in the right place spiritually, but then you're also going to be doing the right things physically um, as a man. (laughs) And that's what God needs of us. And I think people are, like I said, I mean, I, I can keep repeating myself, I guess, but that manosphere or the red pill bros, whatever you want to like call the circles that me and you are both in and a lot of other men out there on the internet are in tend to really focus on the masculine part and it lacks the righteous part and you see the consequences of that. Like, (laughs) maybe not immediately, but eventually you do see the consequences of that in the individuals and then in the people that buy into those individuals, like you said, the person who's like, man, I got red-pilled by the jacked and tan dude. It's like, but <laughs> did you carry on past that and seek righteousness? Like, seek the Lord with all your heart, soul, and might? No. <laughs> so I guess suffer, you know, suffer the consequences.
1: Yeah, it's it's just, it, like, when you when you have things out of order, it, it becomes pretty apparent pretty quick. I mean, I, I even, I was kind of sharing with my coach, because my coach was, like, loosely Buddhist. He's from Cambodia. Um, you know he's he's politically red pilled. He's just like very pro two a despite being in San Francisco. You know, yelling "Let's go, Brandon!" at a very <laughs> at a gym that you guys all was it was full. It was was full of full of leftists to be fair. Um, but you know he he witnessed firsthand what oppressive government does. He gets it, right? He's not. He didn't grow up in a bubble. Um, yeah. But I was telling him too. I was like, "Yeah, Coach. I actually I go to liturgy um, at my church." And in, in literally, like, and whenever I go, because there's liturgy every day because it's a cathedral. But whenever I go to liturgy, like, I'm so much sharper. Like, I'm, I get out of my own way less. Like, I'm so much calmer. I put God first. And I don't even really need to, like, rile myself up. Like, I'm I'm so focused on the movements themselves. I Like, I know a lot of fighters who have to be angry and they only go so far. Like, even men of the faith. I was like, really, what you want is detachment. You want like, an endless gas tank, like, in terms of energy going forward, right? Yeah. But you, like, getting emotional, needing to be angry is actually not all the greatest. And I, I talked about this in a post. I just – because I've been on about this about a while um, called the Assassin's Mindset. Like, assassins don't get emotional. You know, it's – you're detaching – you're detaching from your emotions because you're kind of irrelevant and getting the task done at hand that needs to be done within a certain moral framework. Yeah. and. I found, like, all the greatest combat sport athletes of all time had that mindset. Yeah, like,
0: absolutely.
1: Yeah. in each, each – each, George St. Pierre and MMA, Sass's mindset. Rob came into kickboxing, Samad Yakaroon in Muay Thai, uh, Sugar Robinson in boxing. They – in pinnacle of their craft because they removed their ego. And, you know, you couldn't say they're not masculine because they would have beat you in a fight. Like, you know, all these, all these guys, manister types, were posturing. I'm like, okay, go fight him.
0: Right, like, you're yeah. talking a big game.
1: <laughs> yeah, oh, well, yeah. you got killed. Good job. Like – no um, so I, I found that like the further the deeper I got in the faith the better fighter I became um, and the more detached I became from my own ego and I was able to see fighting for what it was um, for what it is so there's certain energy to it but it's no anger there's no inward turmoil that needs to be had and that's I meet a lot of guys who are like
0: really trying to navigate the faith in fighting and that's
1: kind of consistently what I tell them
0: yeah yeah, that's the battle. <laughs> letting go of the eagle. Like yeah. letting go and letting God, right? Like <laughs> letting go of you and letting God take take control. Jesus take the wheel, you know? <laughs> yeah, yeah, but like for real, not a bumper sticker. <laughs> yeah. 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 I mean,
1: not, not for 10 minutes at a Hillsong concert. Yeah. <laughs>
0: yeah. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> um well, yeah, I had I had um, actually had some questions I wanted to answer or uh, questions I wanted to ask you about posts you had on your Instagram that I thought were yeah. just awesome and profound. And one of them is, and we're kind of touching on it, but like, what are you training for?
1: Yeah, I mean that's that's <laughs> that's one of my that's one of my first posts. I mean, yeah. Um, I mean, I asked that question like Dion Sanders. Like, I I don't care about sports ball anymore, but like certain San Franciscan like cultural things that came out of San Franciscan sports. I like still look upon with nostalgia to be honest.
0: Yeah. Um,
1: and Deion Sanders, you know, played for the Niners in 94 and that was his best season. And, you know, people talk about him being this freak athlete, right? But he's also one of the highest IQ athletes that football has ever seen. Um, that's why having him and Jerry Rice on the same team is just hilariously unfair. It's like, yeah. wait, so you have the best receiver ever, <laughs> the best corner ever on the yeah. same team? Yeah. Like, how is anyone supposed to beat you? Um, yeah. but he he's a coach now and he had this video that I posted on my, my training business page, Anti Fragile Fitness, saying, like, what is the purpose for your practice? You know, we don't we don't practice to actually practice, you practice to to see how much time we have left. We make deals in practice, you go soft, you go soft. None of you, if I ask you for a purpose for your practice, you don't have an answer. What do you mean by that problem? I'm glad you asked. Like, you know, in that typical, incredibly charismatic nature of it. Yeah. Um, he said, if you ask me, I always had a purpose for my practice. I knew I was there. I wanted to be the greatest ever. And I was going to reflect that in every single practice. Yeah. And I, like, get chills even just, like, paraphrasing that. Because, like, dude, if you're if you don't know why you're training, what are you doing? Right, going through motions. Yeah. What do you do, What do you think? What do you think? How do you think that's going to turn out for you? Are you Are you Are you there? Like, I I have a training group online called Anti Fragile Athletes, where it's like not just training, it's not just tailored programming, it's not just tailored nutrition, it's not just on call coaching. It's a men's group where you're figuring out things outside of the gym that are your mission. What are you training for? Are you an athlete? Okay, it's very clear what you're training for. Are you a first responder? You're there to save lives. Are you a soldier? Well, you're there to defend the country as best you can and you're there to stay alive. Like these are very concrete things. And for other people, are you a father? Are you not lift, are you not training and you're a father? Good luck to you, man. Seriously, yeah. good luck to you. Like you need some source of strength to endure through the day. So what are you training for? I had some hilarious answers. Like, I had one guy say, be that one guy who can open any jar. I think I pinned that one because I got such a giggle out of it. I had a lot of guys, you know, do the bloat lord, you know, for the difficult. Fair. Um, But I had some very profound answers. Like, I'm training training to see how far, far I can push myself in service to God. I had answers saying, "So I can save a life in any given moment." That, that is the purpose for your training. There are very few people I meet who are bodybuilders, so I'm like, "Wow, there's some depth there," because they're like flex, flex, muscle, beach. I'm so tan and jacked.
0: Yeah, whereas, ego, yeah, ego, I, I, ego. Yeah,
1: me, 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 me. Whereas again, you know, the two greatest bodybuilders of all time weren't like that. Dorian right. Yates, Dorian Yates, were all black, covered up lived in i've been to his gym in birmingham before it closed it's a dungeon it's a legitimate it was a legitimate hellhole and in the in the medieval center of the of the the city in birmingham uk (laughs)
0: and
1: i i got to visit it before it closed you know i was visiting the city and when i was still over in england and i was like you know this guy was before him the heaviest competitor in mr olympia history was winner was 245 he won at 265 and they say the photos don't do, do his like how shredded he was at justice because they said his skin was like rice paper and then you had the guy who took what took the way he trained and ran with it, and even sacrificed his body ronnie coleman these guys were literally about the physical act of training they were they, they took their pride out of it they had a purpose for their training dorian wanted to see how far he could go ronnie wanted to see how far he could go that i respect you I respect you for that. I don't if, if you're if you're there at of pure arrogance and vanity, I I don't I, I wouldn't let you into the group, honestly.
0: Yeah.
1: I want I want men with a purpose for their training. And anyone listening to this, you should be training for something. And you gotta figure out what that is. Yeah.
0: Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, what is uh, I was gonna ask you, what is anti fragile fitness? And I have it. It's it's at anti.fragile.fitness on Instagram, right? But, like, what is it, and how can people get involved? So, you know, when I started Blood and Train,
1: or Blood and Rain, you know, I have a lot of – I have eight years' worth of training knowledge between strongman, athletic training, kettlebells, um, powerlifting, bodybuilding, sprinting, endurance training. Like, I've I've done every aspect. And then during the pandemic, I started studying – you know, the sports science papers, like, the papers of the greatest sports scientists ever. They're typically out of the Eastern Bloc. And, you know, and, um, I, I kind of figured out all the principles of training. So I knew how to combine all those training styles finally, because I didn't know how to combine them all properly. But when I finally learned the raw principles of training, I was able to put it all together. Um, During the pandemic, I was averaging three hours of sleep. I was malnourished and sleep-deprived as a consistent state, but I was like, there's got to be some way I can train, and I figured out a a modality of weightlifting where it wasn't based on the the muscular system at all, it was based on the central nervous system, and that concept was applied to the Soviet weightlifting system um, that just, it's the most powerful, it's the most efficient way of gaining strength in human-recorded history. And so. Since it wasn't relying on the muscular system, it wasn't relying on nutrients. So I could be sleep deprived and I could be malnourished and still put 100 pounds on my lips. Um, so that bedrock, right? That's fitness that can be anti-fragile, right? It's it's I, I it's adaptable. I know all the principles now. If you, it started out as blood and train because I didn't know a name. I was like, oh, that's funny, blood and rain, blood and train, ah, yeah. Uh, it was just blood and training, and I—I I had run, written a lot of posts in training. People asked me to coach them. I was like, okay, well, I'm trying to figure out something besides poisoning people by singing drinks for them. Um, <laughs> and uh, so I was—I was, you know, I realized that I have training that can be adaptable for fighters, um, for first responders, for soldiers, for fathers. Um, and I was like, this is this is. Fitness is anti-fragile. Like it gets better with randomness. Like your mind is expanded with randomness. I don't have access to a gym today, Coach. What do I do? Okay, do this. This and this is your body weight. Oh, you have access to just dumbbells. You can do this. Oh, you didn't get any sleep last night. Okay, you're able to do this, but you can't do this. Like knowing the principles, I can adapt programming to have a steady progression that isn't broken by circumstance. So I started off as Blood and Train, but I wanted like a separate name that really reflected who I was targeting. So I changed it to Anti-Fragile Fitness: Fitness for Fathers, Fighters, and First Responders. Um, and that's, that's what it is now. So I'm doing a big content revamp of that. Um, that's reflecting that. So I got about like three minutes left FYI before i got to, or we're going to have dinner.
0: We're right on. Yeah. We have to, uh, I'll definitely have to have you back on, man. This is great. <laughs> oh yeah. It's great. I have so back. many more questions and topics I want to get in. Yeah. We'll have to have you back for sure. Um, I'll be happy to be back, man. This has been, <laughs> it's been, it's been a joy, man, seriously. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, right on. Well, before, I have one final question for you. But before that, do you want to do, like, your plugs and shout-outs and where people can find and follow you and all that?
1: Yeah, yeah. Um, so, blood underscore and underscore rain. That's my main content hub. Instagram, Twitter, um, and the podcasts on Spotify. Uh, I do have a couple of podcasts that are now coming out in video on YouTube. Same name, blood and rain. Uh, and then the two, the two businesses I'm really putting my heart and soul in, like the only kind of things I could put my heart and soul in have to do with fit and have to do with training. So obviously you heard of anti fragile fitness. So that's anti period fragile period fitness. And then um, I'm working on a Christian Web3 hub where it'll be a decentralized on the blockchain website that can't be taken down that will serve as a social media. and resource center for Christians. So you'll be able to learn church history, iconography, scripture, um, and you'll be able to find people um, to start new church communities where you are if you are in rural Kentucky and you want to start an Orthodox community or a Catholic community or whatnot, or an iconographer's club. Like, we are trying to connect as many Christians as possible without being shut down, where they're not um, privy to the false moral standard of the godless authority that is globalism. Um, those are the two things I'm working on right now so that's Alpha Omega is the name of that and Graduate Fitness and that's those are all the plugs I could possibly think of
0: dude that's amazing yeah (laughs) yeah that's exactly what we need man yeah that's awesome right on man thank you yeah my my final question is uh, did you have a fun time tonight
1: Oh, hell yeah, I had a fun time. It awesome. <laughs> it's good to hear. I'm
0: glad to hear that. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah, that's man, awesome, is... man. That's that I didn't know about that at all, like there at the end, but that's amazing. I got to join, I got to get down on that.
1: Yeah, but my partner's a content creator. My name is Zenovial, he's down in Australia. Him and I are trying to put together market materials. Um, we're raising money completely outside of Silicon Valley, so we don't need to be you know, we don't need. Ventures, you know, Sand Hill Road, venture like, capitalists. Yeah, being dependent,
0: like being reliant on them, on the beast. <laughs> yeah. And So the, the way resources. we're doing that is, yeah, it's like, oh, we, you know,
1: partner with globalism to get away with globalism. I don't think that's going to work. <laughs> uh, yeah. And uh, so we're raising money by selling Christian NFTs. We have about 10,000 we're trying to sell, and people who purchase those will – have to pay no membership fees, you know, for life basically, yeah. for when Alpha Omega. So that's how we're going to raise the money for the resources to start so we can get it up and running within that a year. Um that's so that's awesome. that's what we're doing. Yeah, man, that's
0: awesome. Keep crushing, dude. Just, <laughs> just <laughs> everything you do, man. Just keep crushing. You're crushing so hard. We need it. We need we need men like you doing that.
1: Appreciate you, brother, man. Thank you. Thank <laughs> yeah. you. Yeah,
0: keep yeah.